listening to Fox Sports Radio. Well, you heard the man with the golden pipes. Yes, it's that time of week again. And you know what that is. It's game time. Welcome to the party, pal. And welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend version. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So go to geico.com for a free rate quote. We are 12 days from NFL football. So it's time to turn our focus to the matter at hand. I'll have a couple of team previews uh, that are actually drawing national interest. And as well, I'm going to have a couple of week one trends you want to get down on and two best bets from Steve Fezzik. And in about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Mike Mayer of the Pac-12 Network on their decision to not play football, where things stand, and what to look for in the future. It's a fluid story. And after uh, Brian Finley's epic update at the bottom of the hour, we'll continue on with our NFL quick hitters. And again, can you get your mind around the fact that the Chiefs and Texans kick things off uh, a week from Thursday? Okay. And, of course, we wrap things up with Mackinac Sports, as we always do. We close down the show with Thinking Man segment of the program. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. People want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. As they say in Torrey Hunter, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, Man's mind stretched to a new dimension never returns to its original state. And when you consider the events of the past six months, are, is, is there ever been a more glaring validation of that statement as it pertains to our world, our sports world, and in the prism with which we now view sports? We may never look at the world of sports the same again. Now, I, for one, am glad the NBA came back after three days, but their 72-hour boycott was met with plenty of vitriol an inflammatory reaction. And I would just say this. Hear me out. We're all big sports fans. Don't act like you're not. Well, some just admit it more than others. You will not find a bigger sports fan than me. Because all my life, sports have given me the thrills and the vision to dream. And most importantly, sports have taught me universal life lessons. So with the NBA and NHL back and football around the corner, I'd like you to consider this thought. Regardless of whether or not you agree with what the NBA players did, remember, first and foremost, they are above and beyond everything else, human beings, just like you and me. And if you care enough to watch them play and bet on their games and argue about their performances, then take a minute to understand what matters most to them and what they care about. So allow your mind to stretch to a new dimension. There's a word for that. We call it progress. Okay, so with the NFL about to kick off for reals a week from Thursday, I'm starting to get more questions about two teams, believe it or not, that seem to draw national interest, but not always for the right reasons. And those two teams are, wait for it, the Detroit Lions and the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, both have distinctive storylines this season as the Lions get their beloved Matt Stafford back after a season in which he suffered a broken back. And the legendary Raiders will make their debut in Sin City after three years of anticipation. So let's talk preview predictions along with the best bet, and I'll start with the Lions. Now, I think I know a thing or two about this team, and I've still got my finger on the pulse with all my contacts back in the Motor City. And I did the Lions pre and post for many, many years. 
with Rob Parker. You may have heard of him. He's one of the guys, Mark Wilson, among Dennis Fethian, among a whole cast of characters. And let's face it, the Lions, their fortunes, live and die with or without Matt Stafford. And, and by the way, this is really a referendum year for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. But I'm not going to bash the Lions here. I'm actually going to give them some props and recommend a bet based on their over-under season win total of 6.5. Yep, those lovable Lions whose last divisional title was 1993. Uh, they've won one playoff game since 1957. That was January 6, 1992, when they beat the Dallas Cowboys. John Madden said that day, we're looking at the two teams of the 90s. He was half right. Cowboys went on to win three Super Bowls. Lions, not so much. But last year, with Stafford, the Lions were actually 3-4 and four with a tie in there. Without them, they were 0-8. They averaged 25 points a game with Stafford under center, 17 points without. Matt Stafford threw 19 touchdowns last year against five interceptions. His replacements, cumulatively, nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions. By the way... In the eight games Stafford was there, he was averaging 312 yards per game passing, good enough for number one in the NFL. He had over 41 20-yard pass plays, or yard pass plays of more than 20 yards. Department of Redundancy Department. But he got hurt, and you know what happened. And actually, their passing attack wasn't that bad. It ranked 10th in the league, and they had an above-average offense. And believe it or not, their receiver combination, who's back, of Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, they were the number one wide receiver duo in terms of scoring touchdowns. So if they can add a running game, they can become possibly more explosive. So what do they do? They go out and get DeAndre Swift. Of course, he's hurt. But if they can get him healthy and in the lineup, he'll be effective out of the shotgun, which is what he did at Georgia. And he'll be a nice compliment to Kerryon Johnson. Now, Stafford under center brings this team a lot of confidence, and he boosts their morale. So T.J. Hawkinson, well, don't want to forget about him, Iowa Sam. He's your tight end. He flashed last year. He looked good. The Lions have not had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2013, some guy named Reggie Bush. But here's the bad news, Pee Wee. 31st-ranked defense last year. Terrible. They did draft Jeff Okuda, and he's going to be a day-one starter. And they did add three former Patriots. Defensive tackle Danny Shelton, linebacker Jamie Collins, and safety Deron Harmon. But they do have to replace Darius Slay. Look, they're try Matt Patricia is trying to bring in a, a, a New England-type Lions fundamental technique-wise, discipline-wise culture. He's trying to establish a better culture. Will it work? I don't know. Their defense last year, they were 31st in giving up yards per game, 26th in points per game. They stunk, okay? That defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. But here's the deal. There's a trend, and this is why I'm going to be recommending that you bet the over of six and a half wins. Over the last 19 years, eight NFL teams have seen their win total decrease by three or more games in back-to-back -back seasons. The following year, seven of those eight teams increased their win total by four more games. The Lions won three games last year. If this goes according to Hoyle, the Lions win four more games. They go seven to nine. You get the picture. You cash your ticket on the over six and a half wins. Remember now, Detroit dropped from nine wins in 2017 to six wins in 2018, then to three wins in 2019, an increase of four or more games in 2020. And that would put them over their season win total of six and a half games. That bodes well for Detroit. So I am recommending that you bet the over of the Lions 
six and a half wins. And if you're feeling saucy, this is not a bet I'm going to be on, but comeback player of the year is going to get a lot of juice. Matt Stafford opened seven to one, a better wasted no time and putting 600 or try that again, $1,600 on Matt Stafford to win the comeback player of the year award. Another better put 500. It's five to one. So he's got a shot. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, if the Lions don't have a winning record, that's going to hurt his chances. But he's going to put up some numbers. And the Lions, in my 10-year history of covering them and doing the Lions pre- and post-game show, they always had a tendency to surprise you when you didn't expect much out of them. Do I think they're going to sur- surmount Green Bay uh, or pass Green Bay or the Bears? Or No, certainly, and certainly not Minnesota. But they might make a little noise. And I think those two bets are worth looking at. The Lions over 6.5 and, and maybe Matt Stafford – Comeback Player of the Year. Now, speaking of the aforementioned Green Bay Packers, and they've been in the news a lot this year, our own Steve Fezzik has weighed in with the week one best bet. Yeah, it's that time of year. Thank God we can talk about some best bets having to do with football and the NFL specifically. And Fez likes one involving the Green Bay Packers week one. Let's give it a listen. NFL week one, we're going to take the Green Bay Packers catching the points at Minnesota. Shop around on this one. The line is anywhere from plus three. Normally, Minnesota would have a really awesome home field advantage. So if Minnesota is comparable to Green Bay, they're very close. I would expect that Minnesota should be laying three and a half to Green Bay. But the big part of Minnesota's home field advantage is that great crowd noise. Well, Minnesota on Tuesday this week announced no fans along with many other stadiums week one to start the season. Without the fans, I can't give them more than two for a home field advantage. So if I've got two comparable teams and I give Minnesota a generous two for home field, that doesn't get me to even three. If I can get Green Bay plus three or more, and there are plus three and a halves out there, absolutely best bet Green Bay plus three to plus three and a half. Sounds like a solid bet, especially when you add to the fact we talked about last year. Week one divisional dogs have been absolutely rock solid of the 65% range. So you've got a divisional dog. Who knows? Green Bay might be the better team. I don't know. And speaking of no fans, um, I'm going to go into this in depth next week because I've got a full report on which stadiums are going to do which. But believe it or not, there are five franchises that will actually have fans in the stands to start the season. The Cowboys... Colts, Jaguars, Chiefs, and Dolphins. Now, uh, Minnesota is not going to have any fans the first two games, and they're going to reevaluate. So have a look at that play. Dallas is going to allow – in Texas, they can allow 50%, so that's to be determined. But the Colts, they'll be about 17,000. Same with the Jaguars. The Chiefs, 16,000. The Dolphins, they're talking about 13,000, which will raise the question, which I'm going to get into a little bit more next week. Does this inconsistency in NFL policies – might that create advantages for certain teams? Still studying that. We'll see, but I do like Fez's best bet. One other trend that I want to emphasize, and I think this one is really rock solid, has to do with NFL week one big home favorites of seven or more than points. Now, favorites that fall into that category, they've gone over the total 63% of the time since 1991, and it's not a small sample size. There were 81 contests where that result uh, prevailed. 51 wins, 30 losses on the over-under. And that's a nice large sample size over you know 28-year period. Now, here comes what I consider a more of a convincer. The over-results improved to 80%. That's 16 and 4 total results. When the line, which is minus 7 or more in the opening games, opening weeks, 
is accompanied by a total that opens at 45 or more points. So there are three games that fall into that category. One is a week from Thursday. Kansas City opens at home. They're laying 10 against Houston. The total is 55 points. Check. Baltimore. They open up at home against Cleveland. They're leading 8.5. The total is 48.5 points. Check. San Francisco. They open at home versus Arizona. They're laying 8 points. Total 46. Check. So, if that goes according to Hoyle, you should make money based on those results going back to 1991. By the way, on a more recent note, these games have gone incredible since 2005. The situations where the team... The home team is laying more than seven points, and the total, the opening total, is 45 or more since 2005, 12 instances, 11-1, and 92% over the last 15 years, and the average combined points in those big chalk games has been a whopping 61.2. So there you have it. A couple things to look for week one. It's nice to be talking NFL. And I'll reference this later in the show, but do I think there will be a boycott of Week 1 NFL games? Well, I suppose anything's possible, but I don't think it's going to happen. And we'll talk about that later. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Coming up, well, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be playing football this fall. So let's talk to a gentleman who will tell us why what are the factors they're considering in making that decision and how decisive it was and how they've managed to avoid the blowback that the Big 12 got, or excuse me, the Big 10 got, and what we can look to in the future. We'll be catching up with Mike Mayer of the Pac-12 Network. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! The great Bernie Fratto, folks. We're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Let's get to it. Let's get to our guest. He's a former Fox Sports Radio teammate of ours. Produced my first few handful of uh, Straight Out of Vegas Saturday night shows. Currently with... The Pac-12 Network. He joined us a couple months ago when everything was up in the air. Say hello to Mike Mayer. Mike, how are you, buddy? Good, Bernie. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's newsworthy, and I'm looking forward to this conversation because, look, it's the decision by the Pac-12 to beg off was quick, decisive, and, uh, you know, the, why don't you start with the, the, the primary factors they considered in coming to a decision so quickly? Well, a lot of things were going on here because I went, the last time you had me on, they had announced the schedule um, pretty quickly. And so right. within like 10 or, 10 or so days, we're talking about canceling the season. So a lot of things came out that weekend that particularly the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were going to be considering. And a lot of consideration was going into the other Power Five leagues were going to make a decision potentially to postpone football. So it got to be Monday – this happened on Tuesday, I think August the 11th, where the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were having meetings with their presidents and chancellors who ultimately had to say they were meeting. The Pac-12 has their CEO group, presidents, chancellors meet with Larry Scott, the commissioner of the league. 
And they were just considering a whole bunch of things. There was this heart condition, myocarditis, which has been a popular thing that has been talked about within the Big Ten, within the Pac-12. And so the Pac-12, they met with the Pac-12's medical advisory board, and they looked into that. They also looked into the fact that you couldn't get rapid testing, point-of-care testing the day before was a big deal. And also the biggest thing that people weren't even considering in California, where I'm based, and where four schools, a third of the league, are based in, they couldn't even practice. Like I, I was, I talked to multiple coaches. I talked to two in the league, David Shaw and Justin Wilcox at Stanford and at Cal. They said they couldn't even get on the field. They were like doing workouts. They weren't practicing with football or doing any sorts of training. They were in groups. And in order to get ready for a season, you need like four to six weeks to get ramped up for that. And so the Pac-12 factored all of those things in together, consulted with uh, the coaches and uh, the athletic directors, and they basically came to this decision as a group, which is a big thing, unlike the Big Ten, and I don't want to point fingers, where it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. The Pac-12 ultimately came to the decision that it just wasn't in the best interest of the student-athletes and the health and safety of them of playing this year. All right, so let's juxtapose the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because they were the both the elephants in the room. And I understand that the Pac-12 communique and information flow is much better. Is that how they were able to avoid the incredible blowback that the Big Ten is currently getting? Because I haven't heard anything of that nature on the Pac-12 side. Yeah, uh, and I'm that's the biggest thing. And I think the Pac-12 isn't getting nearly enough credit because obviously all of the attention is focused on the Big Ten and the Pac-12 has been so quiet. Like even in the buildup to this, when it was in doubt the Monday before the decisions were made on that Tuesday uh, or a, a couple weeks ago, like you heard like Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin and Ryan Day in the Big Ten were all speaking out and saying, we want to play and I, I don't agree with this decision. I think it's an abrupt move. Mario Cristobal, Clay Helton, I talked about David Shaw, I talked, we talked with Nick Rolovich and Kyle Whittingham. It was a unified front even before they made the decision. I've talked with athletic directors, everybody in the last month or so when we were getting a lot of questions about this. And the biggest thing that I got, it was a unified front. They were together the whole time. It was a unanimous vote. Everybody was on board. There's no blowback. And I know – Obviously, a lot of players within the league are upset with what happened, but David Shaw and all these uh, coaches, uh, Herm Edwards, they've all had these great conversations with their players, and it's a much more unified front than it was with the Big Ten, which, like I said, I think the Pac-12 deserves a ton of credit. They get a lot of criticism for a lot of the decisions and the visibility of the league, but they handled this situation so well. And like I said, you juxtapose it with what happened with the Big Ten – like, it makes them look even better. All right, so here's where I throw a bit of a flag because the Big Ten, I think, is starting to uh, perhaps revisit this decision, even though I think it's all window dressing. They're talking about Thanksgiving. They're talking about a winter season, indoor games played in Indianapolis and Detroit and the Metrodome. Well, not the Metrodome. You get my. Well, look, here's the bottom line. Is there any kind of plan B for the Pac-12? Will they revisit this at all? Are they talking about a spring season? Where are we in terms of the Pac-12, or is it C in 2021? I I think if we're going to get a Pac-12 football season, it's going to be in the spring, or it's going to be, as David Shaw termed it to me, a winter season and starting in January 
and going and ending in March. Because the biggest thing that coaches have told us on SiriusXM told me is that they do not want to compromise the preparation for a fall 2021 season. And the decision that was made by the Pac-12 in terms of football is that there are no fall sports until January 1st. I don't think there's going to be a revisiting of it. This decision is final. But if we get to a point where there's going to be a spring season, it's going to be short. It's going to probably be somewhere in the five, six, seven game range is what Kyle Whittingham was saying. And David Shaw said, we have to, they have to start uh, or they have to start at in January and, and at some point mid to late March at some point. So that way you can actually cool down and then get ready to play a fall season on time, late August, early September, like we know and love. So that the priority now is if they're going to get games in in the spring, and I think they really want to try and do it, is to not compromise and abbreviate or just alter 2021 fall. But I think there is a real possibility that if things do get better and they can practice by like November or maybe early December, that there could be a spring or or whatever winter season, whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, wrapping it up with Mike Mayer of the Pac-12 Network. Final question, because spring on the calendar starts March 21st, so this would be some sort of focaccia January-February deal, and I, I am of the belief that you cannot ask college kids to play two football seasons in the same calendar year. So I'm going right. to ask you, Mike, point blank, do you think we see Pac-12 football before next March? I, I think we will. If, and, but I'm going to put a big caveat on it. It's like I said, if things can be progressive, and obviously with these new testing procedures, obviously with that new Abbott test that's at home is a big deal, the saliva test, it sounds like it's trending in the right direction. And a big thing, just to kind of juxtapose this, if they can start basketball, there's been a lot of conversations about basketball. Right, like, yeah. if, if, if There's a lot of conversations about that. If they can start basketball, in like around Thanksgiving with what they're talking about, I think there's a real possibility that spring can get played. I know, but if we can't get on the practice field, if Pac-12 teams and coaches can't get on the practice field by this early December at the earliest, I don't think we're going to see football because I'm with you. They didn't want to do spring, but now that's the realistically the only possibility that they're going to have with Pac-12 football. So, I, to be honest with you, the only way that this is going to get played is that they can get on the field. And the biggest thing is that um, that they 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 can't they can't afford to risk altering that that uh, Paul twenty twenty one season. And if um, if they're going to start late, they can't do it. Right, got it. All right, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Really appreciate it, Bernie. Thanks so much for having me on. You got it. That's Mike Mayer of the Pac-12 Network. I think the Pac-12 speculation about football between non-March is shaky at best. We'll see. Prove me wrong, Pac-12. I'm not second-guessing you, but I trust my eyes. They tell me a lot, and I don't feel like they have any kind of plan whatsoever. Again, prove me wrong. I hope I will admit that I am wrong. That was clunky. All right. Whether it could be an NFL season week one, uh, might there be a boycott? And by the way, how will the Raiders do in their inaugural season in Sin City? I'll have both coming up. But first, hey, let's go to the man who has infinite wisdom. In fact, the other day he told me, you know, Bernie, two wrongs don't make a right, but two rights made an airplane. 
It's Brian Finley with the latest. I feel like I saw a tweet from you, Bernie, saying that exact joke earlier this week. The NBA closing out some first-round playoff series on Saturday. The Lakers banished the Trailblazers from the Orlando bubble using a much-needed fourth-quarter scoring boost to leapfrog the Damian Lillard-deprived Portland squad 131-122. Afterwards, Lakers head coach Frank Vogel drooling over LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who combined for 79 points. Both of those guys rose to the challenge. Uh, they elevated their play, and uh, obviously AD having a, a huge, I think, 30-point second half. 31 point second half, something like that, you know, was a, a factor of both. You know, LeBron getting him involved, getting him going a little bit, and then AD uh, just asserting himself. Russell Westbrook tried to inject himself, but less effective, shooting 3 of 13 in his first game back from a quad injury as the Rockets still sideswiped the Thunder 114 to 80. OKC got an abridged version of Dennis Schroeder. He had 19 points before getting thrown out of the game after drilling P. J. Tucker in his downstairs area. Tucker got ejected afterwards for fighting back with the headbutt. The Thunder also breaking from three-point range 7 of 46, and one of their players, Lou Dort, went 0 for 9 from three-point territory. Also earlier, the Bucks downplay the Magic 118-104 to storm into the next round in five games. College football season began on Saturday. Central Arkansas hanging on, getting a late touchdown to take down Austin P 24-17 in one score in the NHL playoffs. The Vegas Golden Knights ramrod the Vancouver Canucks 3-0. Vegas now leads that second round series 2-1, and the only Anything better than the Golden Knights in Vegas is our main man living in Vegas, Bernie Fratto. Brian, love hearing the Central Arkansas update. I'm just curious, how did Scotty Pippen feel how he was portrayed in tonight's game involving Central Arkansas? I think much more fair than he was in the Michael Jordan documentary. And I don't but, think I'm the only one that thinks that. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right. How are the Raiders going to do in their inaugural season here in Sin City and you know, will we have the NFL week one based on recent events and simple conversations that have taken place? We're going to get to that. But first, Steve Fezzik checks in with another best bet involving the Minnesota Vikings and a certain quarterback. Let's give it a listen. We'll go prop bet. Kirk Cousins over 3,800 pass yards. Last year, Cousins only threw for 3,603, but last year he sat out week 17, so the Vikings mailed in their week 17 game against the Bears. He would have gone over this number had he played that game, and Kirk Cousins, amazingly, in the four years before, he's never missed a game, so he is Mr. Consistent, and he's gone over 4,000 yards in all those years, so if I'm right about the Vikings, and their defense is not nearly as good as it's been in prior years, that means the Vikings aren't going to have the lead, which means they aren't going to be able to run the ball like they normally do half the time. They're going to have to throw the ball more. This is a usage situation. Even without digs, I think Cousins has to throw more. I'm going over 3,800 pass yards, Kirk Cousins. That would be Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the prestigious Hilton uh, Westgate Super Contest. And let's not forget, Fez had the Kansas City Chiefs to win it all way before everybody else did. I'm talking back in 2018. He thought they'd win it this year. All right. The NFL is on the clock, as they say, meaning multiple teams. They're not ruling out a boycott. Nine teams missed practice this past week. And we've got the Texans and Chiefs a week from Thursday. But as it's been reported, if enough prominent players decide they don't want to play, 
it could happen. Now, I don't think it's 100%, and I know Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, was asked the other day, were they going to miss practice? And he said, no, we support all the causes, of course, but not sure if canceling practice would wouldn't really accomplish anything. Of course, my beloved Detroit Lions, rumor has it the other day, they were scrimmaging the Chicago Bears, and with four minutes to go in the game, the Bears went home to boycott. Four plays later, the Lions scored. Thank you, folks. I'm, here. I'm opening up for Shecky Green and the Catskills. No, that didn't happen. But we've got to watch it. I'm going to make a prediction because I don't like the people that equivocate. You know, you ever been around that guy? You have a hard time making up your mind? Well, yes and no. I do not believe the NFL will boycott a game. Again, much like my Pac-12 position, prove me wrong. We'll see. I'll admit it if I'm wrong. I just don't think they want to give up those game checks. And I think a couple of weeks from now, I think the NBA made their point. The NHL, some Major League Baseball teams, they've made their point. And I think this is a this is a matter that's got people's attention and will have people's attention. Another team that will have people's attention, certainly here in their beautiful new stadium in Sin City, are the Las Vegas Raiders. And I actually think the Raiders are going to be very exciting this year, and their win total is 7.5, and, and I'll tell you where I think they're going to fall. Give Mac Mayock a lot of credit. Uh, the Raiders signed 13 players in free agency this year, seven of those players, and the biggest chunk of the salary and salary cap space was spent on defense. And, and they, I mean, they brought in quite an infusion of talent on all three levels of defense, and they needed to because in – 20,000 or 2019 that team couldn't that defense couldn't stop a parade the good news is Derek Carr's got some much needed weapons he's he's got a lot of mouths to feed this year so he'll have to figure out how to get the ball to so many weapons but I think he can do it because last year the Raiders lacked explosiveness even though they had the 11th most yards per game in the NFL they were 24th in points he only averaged 19 points a game that's got a real chance to improve dramatically this year because they had a draft that pulled in Henry Ruggs III from Alabama, South Carolina wide receiver Brian Edwards. He's a big guy. He's a stud, a physical guy. And Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky, this guy is your classic Swiss Army knife. And he not only led the SEC in all-purpose yards per game last year, he volunteered to move from wide receiver to quarterback earlier in the season and ended up rushing for almost 1,500 yards. So... When you add to that, the Raiders now have the best tight end in all of football with Darren Waller, and his backup is a Hall of Famer, Jason Witten. You've got yourself the makings of an offense. Oh, I, I didn't even mention Josh Jacobs. He had a terrific rookie season. He was one of the elite running backs last year, and I think you'll see Lynn Bowden get time in the backfield as well. He just needs to learn how to block on the NFL level. But that's, the dude's got more moves than Clinton, you know, Bill Clinton when he's got the ball. So all kinds of talent all over the field. But here's the deal. The Raiders, their fortunes will rise and fall in their defense. And, again, they added much-needed skill and experience there. They brought in linebackers. They brought in safeties. And they improved the interior of their defensive line. And they've got some good guys coming back. And Cleland Farrell and Max Crosby and Trayvon Mullen. Again, give John Gruden and Mike Mayak credit. They really worked hard on, you know, rejuvenating that defense, for lack of a better word. And they went out and they spent money in free agency. They brought in Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski. Both are going to start immediately. A guy that they drafted out of Clemson, and then Clemson's got some guys that can play on defense, a guy by the name of Tanner Muse, who you're going to be hearing about. Again, another kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy. He's going to play linebacker. 
So when you add it all up and you put in guys like Max Crosby, who I just mentioned, um, Rod Marinelli has also been hired. Now, uh, <laughs> Rod Marinelli was the head coach of the Lions in 2008 when they went 0-16. I can't forget that's the last year I did pre and post. But Rod Marinelli was also part of John Gruden's staff in Tampa Bay as a defensive line coach for Super Bowl 37 when they won the whole thing. By the way, they also drafted another stud in the first round by the name of Damon Arnett. He'll start immediately. So when you add it all up and you get Jonathan Abrams back healthy and Demarius Randall, who's a better than average safety, and Jeff Heath, that's a veteran guy who's going to bring a lot of leadership, this is a team that I think will go 8-8. Eight eight. But that, go, that puts them over their win total of 7-5 or 7.5. So I'm betting that the Raiders will go over their win total of 7-5. And, and you know what? They could go 9-7. and seven. Not ruling it out, but let's face it, the Kansas City Chiefs rule the universe and happen to be in the AFC West. Denver's going to be better under Vic Fangio. And I think, you know, I think the addition of Tyrod Taylor in, 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 I almost said San Diego, not San Diego, LA, the Chargers, and Anthony Lynn, they've got a good roster. So they're in an above average division, but I still think the Raiders go 8 and 8, and they go over that win total of 7.5. It's going to be fun to watch. And again, the NFL starts a week from Thursday as the Chiefs host the Texans. Coming up, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Smacking on sports. We've got two brand-new NBA series starting up tomorrow. We're going to break those down. We're going to talk about the Bubble Hotel California League. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. And see who advances to the next round and where the value might be. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more in car insurance? means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. We're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. And before I go any further... I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. That would be Brian Finley, Chris Perfett, and Eric Roberts, as always, doing a great job. A boffle job. Boffle means great. All right. You know me, love me, can't leave without him. He's Mackenzie Rivers, and it's time for Mackinac Sports. And Mackenzie, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow because a couple of good second round series starts. And that, you know, we talked a couple, three weeks ago about the fact, and I was actually on the odd couple two Mondays ago talking about the fact that the Miami Heat were pesky, partially become a, because of Jimmy Butler. And um, you, you saw the movie Trading Places, right? Oh, yeah. You remember when Eddie Murphy's at the concert and that gentleman up there that banned sexual chocolate? And Eddie Murphy <laughs> stands up and goes, the boy can sing. The, the boy can sing. That's how I feel about Jimmy Butler. The he boy can sing. can sing, and is he good enough to lead that bunch of, you know, scalawags and upset the Milwaukee, uh, I almost said Brewers. <laughs> he could definitely beat the Brewers in a game of basketball. I'm yeah. talking just to Fair annihilate enough. them. Good to know. Good knowledge. Go ahead. <laughs> when, when he went to the Heat, everyone had the same sentence. How can you say you're about winning and go to a team like the Heat when you're leaving a team like the Sixers that were one of the best in the league? Well, when you're a winner like Jimmy Butler, you bring it with you. And here's a fun fact for you. The Miami Heat were the only team in the league this year to have a winning record against those mighty Milwaukee Bucks. And in fact, they were up by 20 the last time they played on August 6th to make it 3-0. They let up in the fourth quarter 
who knows if that was a little bit of mind games to try to, you know, it's a lot easier to say, hey, we only beat you twice out of three times rather than we swept you to, get, to not be such a bulletin board material. I think this team's set up to beat them. One of the issues in this matchup, and you look to matchup, is can Milwaukee start to make their three-pointers and can they defend Miami's prolific ability to make their three-pointers? Yes, and Mike Budenholders and the Bucks have a very specific defensive game plan. They like to pack the paint and say, hey, if you're going to take above-the-break threes, at least we'll see it coming, we'll be able to get the rebound. But Miami's the second-best accuracy-wise three-point shooting team in the league. And again, to a bunch of veterans in Milwaukee, they have some youngsters that really have nothing to lose. You're talking about the 20-year-old hero, Tyler Hero out yeah. of Kentucky. Yep. He'll fire him up. Kendrick Nunn didn't think he'd be in the league at this point. At, at 25 years old as a rookie, he's going to fire him up. Another 40% three-point shooter. And Bam Adebayo, maybe the best guy in the league at defending Giannis. He's only 23, most improved player candidate. This is a very interesting matchup of contrast. You got the veteran Bucks who's going to let yes. him shoot them up, and then you got the rook- the rookies and the young Heat saying, "Hey, we'll fire away, try to stop us." It's the classic youth versus experience, and uh, I'm really looking forward to watching it as they teed up tomorrow. The other series I have even slightly more interest in because in the Fox Sports Radio. Uh, bracket challenge that I'm in, I've actually got the Boston Celtics advancing all the way to the Eastern Conference Final. But they got to get past Toronto first, and they're an underdog, uh, McKenzie. Yes, and I'm right there with you. I love the Boston Celtics plus 130. If I was making this line, Bernie, I'd say the Celtics have a 60-70% chance to win. Yes, if you look at the season-long data, the Raptors have the better record. They're better recently, better since the All-Star break, all those fun facts. But if you just look at the net rating in non-garbage time, so how does this team do on a per-possession basis if we just discount all those garbage time stats that don't matter in the last five minutes when you're up by 20? Well, the Bucks are the number one team, 9.0, not a surprise. Sneakily, the Boston Celtics are number two at 7.0, much better than the Raptors, a point and a half behind them, and they're fifth in the league. So yes, if you look at just the standings, the Raptors look like the better team, but I think if you look at the advanced metrics, even something as simple as net rating, the Celtics have been the better team. They're getting their underdog, getting points. I like them. I like him too. And uh, one of the reasons I like Boston so much is I just simply think they're one of the classically constructed teams of the modern era. Yes. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, three prolific offensive players that can create their own shot off the dribble. I love Marcus Smart and his tenacious defense. And look, when you look at the Celtics, you put together some great notes here, McKenzie. The other five title favorites, Toronto Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, Rockets, the Celtics were not only 9-4 and four against those teams, they won by margin. Conversely, what did the Raptors do against those other favorites? The Raptors are one of those classic teams that are amazingly well-coached, amazingly tenacious. Every single game, they give you it all. Well, you know what that means? Against the best, they don't really have another level to go to. And we've seen it. Against the best of the best, they're only 4-7 and seven against the spread, losing by half a point a game. The, against these Celtics, they're one in three. And you talk about the Celtics' amazing offense. That's particularly good against a team that keeps you out of the paint like the Raptors. The Celtics can shoot it. They have five guys that can create their own shot at any given time. Absolutely. All right, the other game I'm looking forward to tomorrow, Denver and Utah. I have Utah. I thought, well, I don't think they want to get to a game seven. I like Utah to wrap it up tomorrow. They're laying two and a half. That bet you have, Utah Jazz plus 200 for the series, is looking mighty good, Bernie. Congratulations on that. But I don't think you have to hedge. I think these 
Jazz have, are the better coach team under Quinn Snyder. I think they have the best guard in, in Donovan Mitchell, and I really like that game. And bonus play, by the way, I like the under in that one. All right, real quickly before we sign off, you have a best bet for tomorrow as well. Yes, the Boston Celtics plus two and a half. I love them for the series. I think they get it off to a great way game one. All right, so the you know the Lakers took care of business tonight. You know they would, and they'll we'll see who they face next, either Oklahoma City or Houston. And I am enjoying these NBA playoffs very, very much. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. I am Bernie Fratto. First, I want to thank Mike Mayer for coming on tonight from the Pac-12 Network. Mackenzie, good stuff on the NBA. We'll pick it up next week. Next up, the man from Nashville. He brings it strong. It is time for the Jason Martin Show. Keep it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas!